You're listening to the Voice of MPE podcast, the show that brings you interviews with MPE conference speakers and stories of merchant payment leaders from around the world. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The Voice of MPE podcast is produced monthly for your enjoyment and show notes are found at www.merchantpaymentsecosystems.com. Today we are talking about success stories of startups that originated at MPE conferences with your host, payment expert and regular moderator at MPE conferences, Melisande Mule. Hello, I'm Melisande Mouval, Managing Director of the Papers, and we are here at MPE 2020 in Berlin doing a special podcast with MPE speakers. And I'm here with Sebastian Weyer, co-founder and CEO of Status, and Julian Lee, CEO and co-founder of Selfie. Um, Julian, could you please briefly introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you for having me, first of all. Uh, so Selfie is the company, um, you know, founded in the Seattle. I'm from Seattle too. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, my team and I have been working for, uh, you know, payment industry for a while. So we actually came from um, chip operating system programming on the manufacturing credit cards. And then uh, we were familiar with MP, um, you know, uh, mobile payment and then, uh, you know, uh, EMB transactions. So we want to deliver, you know, good solution to the online online uh, sales for from the EMB, you know, transactions. Great, and uh, Sebastian, you're from Berlin. <laughs> uh, I just found out. Uh, could you shortly introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me as well. Um, yeah, as mentioned, uh, I'm from Berlin. We're a Berlin-based company. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50-minute foot walk from the venue today. Convenient. Which is quite convenient. Um, we are helping our customers with data anonymization. Um, so we're a software company focusing on supporting our clients with uh, protecting their customers' data, um, which is obviously very relevant nowadays of a post-GDPR yeah. European environment and world. But of course, privacy regulation is picking up uh, in a global matter right now. Um, and so what we're doing is we're supporting our comp- uh, customers with understanding how they can protect their data, um, but also how they can leverage it in an absolutely privacy-compliant manner. Um, yeah, that's what we provide our okay. software for. Super. Um, so, so, Julian, some questions about, I mean, you're, you're, you're both running startups, um, but Julian, can you tell me a little bit about your, your background and, and what led you to found your company? So, as I said, uh, we have been working for a while for a chip operating system mm-hmm. uh, in the credit card, like EMB protocols. Yeah. And then we so um, we have been looking for a market for a while um, because, you know, now the merchant transactions actually rapidly transform from the, you know, offline, you know, in-store transactions to online transactions. Mm-hmm. So we thought that we could find some business opportunity in online market. It's a rapidly growing market there. And our previous experience was in, uh, um, you know, in-store business based on the credit cards, you know, uh, and the credit card payment terminal. And then we thought that we could convert online transactions to um, card present transactions based on the EMB transaction um, from our experience. And how do you typically do that? Right. So, you know, our Selfie is the company name and at the same time, that's a product name. Mm-hmm. So Selfie is a mobile application uh, running in the consumer's Android phone to accept uh, tap to pay contactless credit card directly from the customer credit card to their own, um, you know, mobile phone. So the, our, um, you know, mobile you know, application runs exactly same as, you know, uh, 
you know, physical store merchant terminal. Mm-hmm. So when the customer want to check out at their you know, online payment checkout page, they actually en- they just tap their credit cards against their phone instead of entering 60-digit number, you know, CBB code, expiration date, and then also you know, billing address, name, and then you know, zip code, etc. So we're gonna, you know, customers is, is going to pass the entire process by just tapping their credit cards against their phone. Okay. Yeah, so uh, Selfie uh, is running the module in the kernel is working exactly the same as physical uh, payment terminal. So that's we, how we convert you know, card not present transaction to card present transactions. And from a consumer perspective, if I look into the journey, do I have to download an app first or, or how does the checkout page look like? I mean, yeah, that's I mean I'm question. just wondering how it, yeah, you know, yeah. if I picture this for myself, where I'm, how do I find out that I basically take my phone and tap my... Right, that's good pretty, question. Pretty new. Yeah, so we provide white label SDK Mm-hmm. to be integrated any online merchant applications. So for example, if you if for example if Walmart want to use our solution, mm-hmm. we provide SDK so they can integrate our SDK in their you know checkout page. So customers, merchant you know consumers can find the you know button of the selfie on top of their existing you know uh, Walmart payment. Mm-hmm. So customer can choose either you know use a store credit cards or they can just choose a selfie, you know, to tap their credit cards to uh, to complete payment. So, uh, you know, per your questions, we provide SDK to uh, online merchant application as a part of you know their program. Yeah. Yeah. So customer doesn't have to consumer doesn't have to download you know applications because our application, our, you know, uh, payment app is already installed, you know, merchant application. And then it's sort of self-explanatory for, the, for, for the consumer, how they basically go through the, the, uh, the payment checkouts by... Yes, yeah. And, and what is the, how is the adoption like? What is, how is this, you know, how do consumers uh, adopt these payment methods? So consumers actually quite familiar with the tap and go. Mm-hmm, they know that. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's gonna getting popular and popular. Um, and then once they know how to pay using selfie, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that they can choose it because you know based on you know research poll, more than fifty percent of consumers actually worry about storing their credit card information, website, or even you know their own phone because you know there are a lot of data breaches such as you know. Uh, Marriott and Target, you oh, know, yeah. everywhere, you know, anytime. So if consumer recognize the value of a selfie, not storing credit card, but uh, you know, use a credit card, you know, whenever they want to use. So we actually use a cryptogram. We don't use even tokenized tokenized information. So that's why we claim that this is card present transactions. So once you touch your card to the phone, you know, selfie module create you know, cryptogram from the credit card based on the EMB transactions. So send those cryptogram to the issuer to get the, you know, payment authorization. Yeah. So it's very secure. And in what countries do you uh, offer this solution already? How is sort of your go-to-market strategy so far? So, uh, you know, there are, 
um, some interesting you know, merchant customer in the market, such as an online betting company, sports betting, mm-hmm. and online gambling. So their concern is that the force decline rate is more than 20%. Because that means that their revenue actually decreased by 20% because of CNP card not present declines. Yeah. Because you know, uh, payment gateway increase, you know, security level, that means you know, there are more CNP force declines. So they want to adopt our solutions because they see the value to increase you know, their revenues by the 15 to 20%. So that's our go-to-market strategy. Yeah. And then we want to actually get the, uh, some profit the, from the, their you know, additional benefit, like increase the you know, revenues or something like that. Yeah. No, you solve a really big issue there right, with the, the yeah, clients so for especially high-risk merchants. Right. We want to you know, uh, remove CNP long-time issues, card not present long-time issues, like a card not present CNP force decline, CNP you know, fraud chargebacks. You know, the CNP fraud chargeback accounts for 50% entire chargebacks from the stolen credit cards. Yeah. But uh, if you use like a CLP, you need to have your own credit cards and also you need to have your own phones. So double protections, right? So uh, we actually want to sell our, you know, our idea to merchant customers. Yeah, sounds great. And what does the future hold for you? How do you see your, your right. roadmap um, for the yeah, future? So, um, I pitched uh, this afternoon um, during the startup competition. Mm-hmm. So my last statement was that we want to be standard of EMB transaction in e-com. Because you know, many you know, uh, credit card schemes and then uh, merchants want to introduce um, new standard for the online transactions. Their bottom line is the EMB transactions, like a PSD2 and then uh, uh, remote uh, SSC strong customer authentication and uh, but we want to deliver real EMB transaction in this market so we want our business goal is to become a standard of EMB transaction in online you know marketplace great ambition <laughs> Julian yeah. um, back to Sebastian um, you're in a completely different business we are um, maybe you can tell a little bit about your your background and what led you to the idea to found this company sure interestingly we, we we are always in this spot where we are in a different business but also not really because obviously the topic of data protection is uh, quite relevant for broad for range yeah, yeah a broad range of industries including payments and of course the fintech uh, the fintech sector um so we came up with the idea of status to work with status about three years ago um the big question we asked ourselves back then was why companies are actually not more collaborative when it comes to the use of data um, I mean, everybody was always talking about how data is going to be super relevant for building products, building customer experiences, but also, of course, understanding customers in the first place. Um, what we came to realize was quite quickly that even before time of GDPR, and I mean, we have to keep in mind we were based in Germany back then as well, and uh, Germany has always been a rather paranoid, privacy paranoid country, so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but even at that point, privacy, data privacy was really the main reason why um, companies would not collaborate on data and wouldn't even think about using data for any kind of sharing purposes. For example, a big use case we saw was uh, back then also the financial sector to get better customer profiling or customer understanding. It would just not happen. So the idea for us to um, found the company and found status was really to look into how can we facilitate data being flowing more freely 
in the privacy-preserving matter. And that's how we actually started working on the topic of um, building this anonymization solution that we're currently uh, providing to our clients and customers, um, and to, to especially to solve the problem of uh, data flow, especially in the post-GDPR world, where it's even more complicated, if not impossible, uh, for customers or companies to leverage sensitive data um, internally or even externally, of course. You mentioned sharing data with uh, other companies, uh, basically leveraging profiles or doing risk analysis using mm-hmm. data of others. Can you elaborate a little bit on this? What was, what kind of use cases do you mm-hmm. enable with yeah. your, your technology? It's a great question. It goes basically in two, two directions. So if you right now, for example, let's make it quite clear, you're um, a payment provider mm-hmm. or um, you're a financial, financial institution, a financial provider, you have sensitive data that's stored somewhere in your infrastructure. So what happens right now is you're interested in using this data for secondary purposes. For example, to run certain risk analyses or even share that data between departments within your group or corporation. This already seems or is very difficult with GDPR or other regulations in place because data can just not be easily shared right now because this would constitute a secondary processing purpose. And that means you have to make sure you actually have all legal grounds to do that, which mm-hmm. is difficult to obtain. So one way to do that is you anonymize the data. Now, this is where we... <laughs> This is where we um, where we come in with um, with status, meaning a company is able to anonymize their data and afterwards share it internally for further processing. So, for example, for um, internal data or analytics teams to work on data in a more uh, first of all, compliant manner, but second of all, without having to wait for governance and compliance processes to be in uh, or protocols being followed through, which can take weeks or months. Mm-hmm. And second of all, companies also being able to share this data, as you mentioned, to outside partners, for example, outside partners to run certain analyses or in this case also build products in the, for example, in the machine learning environment on top of such data where currently no data flow would be possible. So the use cases are rather broad when it comes to the actual application. Um, simple reason the data that's provided through the status software um, mimics the original data to a very large extent. That means you're basically able to run and use this data in the almost same way as you would use the original data without ever using the original data. So therefore, without ever running into any compliance issues you might have when working on the sensitive data in the first place. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on the technology? Sure. Like what technology enables this mm-hmm. anonymization of, of data? If you think about anonymization in a traditional way, you stumble into two problems. First one, you would probably say have a data set that has an, uh, an ID of a user or customer and then has certain information on, for example, in this case, payment or behavior, right? What you would do traditionally is you would start getting rid of so-called direct identifiers, such as a name, birth date, address, and all of these information in order to try and protect the data. This is already a first problem because you as a person assume, or as a company, assume that you know what is sensitive about a person in this data set and what is not. Mm-hmm. And usually there's a lot of research that has shown that even with understanding these called so-called secondary attributes, you're able to re-identify a person quite easily. So the problem here is if you then think this to an end, you would technically get rid of a lot of information that might be very relevant for the analysis afterwards, right? If you yeah. want to have to reduce or aggregate the data set. So what do we do? We think anonymization differently. We have at the core for software, something uh, called deep generative models. It's basically a machine learning um, or a bunch of different machine learning models that run and train on a given source of data, understand the structure, and also understand the underlying statistical properties. So the technology is very similar to something that uh, people might be more familiar with in recent news called deep fakes. 
So algorithms that understand what human faces look like and generate new faces that look very real but are highly artificial, mm -hmm. we use similar technology but for understanding statistics and basically what statistics and the data are present and using this to generate a new data set that statistically and structurally mimics the original data but has no relationship to the original data at all anymore. Therefore, it's anonymous, but second of all, still preserves the overall attributes and information you would be interested in analyzing further. And what is the background of you and your team? I mean, how did you came in, basically, how, what led to this idea and then... Yeah, what, what, do you, what kind of experience do you bring with you? So our team is um, currently cons uh, how you say, comprised of uh, mostly data scientists coming in on a um, post-research position, um, sometimes the first step in the industry. Uh, and as you can imagine, the big or the initial start of the company was a lot around research and product development. Uh, we had to understand the recent um, advances in machine learning to understand also how we could build what we had envisioned to build mm -hmm. um, and also understand, of course, uh, what part of that research would be translatable into an actual product. Um, this is what the most part has been happening in the first couple of years, first one and a half years of our, uh, mm -hmm. of our company history. Um, so, so right now we have a very strong team on the technical side um, that helped us build this product. And I mean, a big focus for now, of course, is also make sure we can get this into the merchants and payments world out there. Okay, and how does the future hold for you? Um, <laughs> great, great transition. <laughs> no, big focus for us right now, of course, is to make sure that we help our clients with protecting customer data. So. What kind of customers are you working with now? So we work with, in this case, mostly financial and insurance providers, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but the overall framework you can think of is wherever there is sensitive data and wherever there's a strong um, data protection regulation is where we can come in and support. Um, yeah. So this is very much where we can actually add value. Um, where we look into the future, what we would like to see is companies being able to understand that data innovation or data-driven innovation, for example, in form of using sensitive data, and data protection do not have to be seen as opposites, but can very well be merged together, and that there are ways to do that. Um, and so this is what we're trying to support our customers with the most of the time at this point. Okay, more generic question for both of you. Uh, Julian, what advice would you give to young European entrepreneurs who are just about to start? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what did you learn during yeah. your journey? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm not sure I'm the right person to <laughs> talk about European. Um, but well, replaced uh, by uh, yeah, North America. Um, but I think uh, in the same thing to European startups and mm -hmm. American startups, um, if you find a chance, just go ahead, go for it, and then execute the idea, um, and don't hesitate, you know, you know, start and execute your own idea. That's my, you know, two cents. Um, and then, you know, I found that as a, you know, American company, uh, it's very hard to communicate and then, uh, you know, find, you know, potential customers in Europe. So we want to be the more, you know, uh, community between the two continents um, by like this kind of a conference, um, like Money 2020, MPE, um, Etc. So, uh, what makes it so difficult? Difficult then, Julian. What makes yeah. it so difficult to step from huh, to, to the European market? So geographically, um, mm -hmm. quite far, um, and then customers are different. Um, you know, regulations are different uh, because when he actually, you know, uh, brought this idea to the market, America doesn't have a, like a CBM limit. You know, tap and go. If you do a tap and go, you don't have a limitation. Yeah. But here, yeah. you found like a 30 bucks, 40, bu 30 euro, 40 euros, like EVM, CVM limit. So different regulation, different, you know, customer. Um, and then that 
would be quite a you know hard to um, takes time to understand the different markets. Something to take into account. You can't just right. copy one concept from one market yeah, to the other. Yeah, There's yeah. So we had to change entire like a pipeline, you know, like a schedule or plan or something. Yeah. Okay, and how about you, Sebastian? Um, yeah, I, like, I, I mean, I like the sentiment of just going for it and really starting something. But I think in general, what's uh, what helped us a lot is this notion of be absolutely fine with making mistakes. Everybody does them, everybody makes them, and everybody learns from them. Uh, second of all, ask as many questions as you can. I mean, there's always, no, but seriously, there's always people in shoes that or have been in similar situations in the past that can just share a lot of knowledge. I think just sharing and asking as many questions as possible to relevant uh, people or just also reach out to people and ask for support is super, super helpful and valuable. Um, I think most people will be surprised how open others are to share experiences and help as well. I agree. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much, Julian and Sebastian. And uh, I hope that you have a lot, meet a lot of new people uh, in the next two days to ask questions and to give advices and uh, have a great rest of the show. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks a lot for having us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Voice of MPE podcast, powered by MPE. MPE is the biggest European conference and community of merchant payments professionals. Make sure to visit our website, www.merchantpaymentecosystem.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. If you like the show, you might want to check out Positivity Magazine video interviews where you can read and watch more success stories directly from merchant payment ecosystem speakers and industry leaders.